Welcome to episode five of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart, and today we are talking about autonomy. Personally, I love having the freedom to work from anywhere during any hours and mostly on projects that I wanna be working on. It's part of the reason I became an entrepreneur. Even at age 12, I did not like being told what to do, and that really came across at sleepaway camp where after a couple of years, I decided this wasn't working for me and I started my own summer camp. If you want to hear that whole story, you should listen to episode zero where I talk about it because it was my first business. Anyways, coming up, I talk about some various forms of autonomy, how to introduce greater autonomy to your team, and how to structure it for success. So stay tuned. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Autonomy is one of those things that really makes a difference when you think about how people thrive. And if you want to create that thriving team, you need to have some levels of autonomy. Psychologist Daniel Pink says in his book, Drive, that people are driven by autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And autonomy is defined as freedom from external control or influence, independence. So not surprisingly, we like to be in control of ourselves. It's even one of those top three motivations. But autonomy isn't just one thing. It comes in different flavors. So we're going to go through each of these. First up is how you work. Do you allow people on your team to do their work however they see fit? Are there exact protocols or particular tools or a way of doing things that you require even though it might not be necessary? Obviously, there are times where we do need very particular things to be done in very particular ways. But in many cases, we conflate how we like to do things with how others should do things. You definitely don't want someone to recreate the wheel. So sharing learnings or best practices can be very helpful. But what's not helpful is when we're prescriptive in describing exactly how something needs to get done, where for that person who's now doing it, they may actually have a better way that works for them. Up next is when you work. Can people work whatever hours are best for them? Are they required to be in the office or online from nine to five? If yes, why? Sometimes we're unnecessarily constrained by this American societal norm of the nine to five workday. If you don't need to be on from nine to five because your job itself doesn't demand it, for example, you're not a customer service agent or something else where people are expecting you to be available, why is it necessary? One organization I worked with had a required four-hour overlap during which all employees needed to be available. And this ensured there were times for that direct and immediate communication and meetings. The other four-ish hours of work each day could be determined by each person based on their personal schedule. They could work early in the morning or late at night or even on the weekends if that was their preference. This allowed each person to create a schedule that worked best for them. The most obvious form of autonomy might be where you work. Are you a face-to-face team? Do you need people to be in the office and at their desks? Can people work from home or a coffee shop? What about the pool side? One of my colleagues based here in New York worked from Asia for a month so she could be with her family. We coordinated calendars for meetings, and sometimes she had to work really unusual hours given the extreme time zone difference, but overall it worked really well. And by allowing her to work remotely from anywhere she wanted, she was getting the benefit of being able to stay longer in Asia with her family, and we were getting the benefit of not having her take a much longer vacation. Next up is what you work on. 
Do people have a choice in what projects they participate in? Do you ask people to volunteer for tasks rather than just assigning them? There's an interesting psychological difference between being asked and being told. Asking gives control to the receiver, and with that, the full power to decide and decline. And when you decide to do something, you're actually more bought in. The key is that if you ask, it means you have to be okay with the person saying no. You've given them that power. Telling holds control with the giver. Now, of course, as a manager, it's our job on occasion to tell people what to do. But sometimes there isn't a choice when it comes to what work needs to get done, but there may be an option as to who does that work. And I found that when I offer up tasks to my team and say, who would like to take this to the next step? Who would like to write that first draft? People volunteer, and it's sometimes surprising to see who's interested in doing what work. Now, another way to address what work gets done is to engage people in the decision-making process to help determine what needs to be done. So for example, I did this with my team when we were rethinking the Meteor blog. We discussed alternatives to writing an original piece each week, which started to feel cumbersome. For the person who was managing our blog at the time, her activities were going to shift drastically if we cut down on all the writing that she did. So rather than just tell her what her new job was, we had a meeting in which we discussed alternatives to writing new pieces. And she got to share her expertise and experience in managing the blog, which helped us make better decisions and got her bought into the new direction. Lastly is who you work with. Now, in small organizations, you don't always get a choice as to who you work with. But in larger organizations or teams, there can be opportunities to specifically work with people who you collaborate best and avoid those with whom you have a frustrating dynamic. One team I worked with had a really challenging dynamic between two individuals. They tried a couple interventions, which helped, but sometimes personality clashes or past experience or the inability to recognize your own behaviors and evolve just get in the way. So instead of letting one person go or forcing them to continue to work together despite the frustration and the stress it was causing, the team made some shifts so that the two rarely had to interact. This allowed each of them to contribute their best value without the headaches caused by their strained relationship. Providing autonomy isn't always easy. It definitely doesn't mean you get to sit back and relax and let your team members do whatever they want. Just like you shouldn't micromanage and tell them everything to do exactly down to the last detail, you also can't be totally hands-off. You really need to find the right balance. I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, How to Be Awesome at Your Job, and guest Bruce Tolgan talked about micromanagement as being overly invested for employees who don't need it. Some people need highly detailed and explicit instructions with regular oversight. Some people need strict working conditions or other structures to help them do their best work. And providing structures, information, and oversight that someone needs is never micromanagement. The issue is when you provide too much to employees who don't need it. Now, the same is true for autonomy. Some people thrive when they can work from home or come in at 1030 or use whatever processes they like and pick what work to do and so on. Autonomy is at its best when you've provided just enough structure, information, and oversight to allow your team members the freedom to make any choices within those boundaries and be successful. This means that you can't always provide the same types or degrees of autonomy to each person. We all need different things to succeed, and some forms of autonomy are built into our organization's policies or need to be offered consistently to be fair, but the structures and supports that you put around it don't need to be the same for each person. How you manage that independence is critically important. For example, one manager shared with me how he noticed that one person on his team seemed to fall behind on her work whenever she was working from home. 
So rather than tell her that she could no longer work from home, he increased his support by doing two things. First, he talked with her about how she sets herself up for success when she's working from home. Does she have a way to avoid distractions from her kids? Does she block certain times for work and others to attending those home matters, which we know everybody does when they're working from home? And then second, he checked in with her each morning, asking her what she planned to accomplish that day so that he could hold her accountable to getting that particular work done. To successfully have autonomy, you need to have structures that give both parties trust in the system. This could be communication procedures, task or goal management, agreed upon hours for availability. It may be that you need to identify particular professional development goals, skills, or competencies that need to be strengthened, which would then allow the person to have even greater autonomy. Not everyone appreciates or even desires the same forms of autonomy. Not every role or team can support all different forms of autonomy. For example, if you have people in different time zones, there may be a limited number of hours that overlap, and you wouldn't want those hours to be optional. And your organization may have policies that you need to follow. So you should absolutely check in with your HR support to ensure whatever it is that you decide to do with your team complies with any legal regulation or organizational policies. You also need to consider how autonomy affects the whole team. If people begin working remotely more often, it doesn't just impact how they work with you as their manager. It changes how they collaborate with all their colleagues. You may find that you need new technology tools, software, and hardware. Or maybe you need to develop some norms about how work gets allocated and what work is going to be offered and what work is going to be assigned. Before implementing any new approaches, start by discovering what matters to each of your team members. Identify any constraints related to their role or responsibilities and consider the impact on the entire team or others that they work with. Talk to each person individually and possibly bring them together as a group about their current experience and how they might want to work differently. You can use the guide I've created to help you with these conversations, which you can download from the website at mamieks.com slash podcast 005. Whatever you decide to do, set it up as an experiment with measures of success and a plan to evaluate. Don't overpromise that this is the official new way of working. You may need to iterate or refine your systems of support. And in some cases, you may need to revoke or reduce it significantly, which is much harder to do when you've told everyone this is a new practice. You can avoid that situation if you establish alignment upfront about what's expected and how you'll work together to support greater autonomy, along with how you'll know if it's working or not. You'll also want to schedule a number of check-ins specifically to talk about how these new ways of working are going. These pre-scheduled meetings, along with the list of metrics that you've already defined, give you a chance to have that real honest conversation about how it's going and avoids that really awkward, hey, we need to talk about this kind of conversation that you would otherwise have. If you're interested in creating greater autonomy for yourself, try speaking with your manager about how you'd like to work differently. Come prepared with a plan for how you ensure accountability and again, frame it as an experiment with a check-in after a few weeks. Your manager may say no for a variety of reasons, but they likely won't ever bring it up to you unless you raise it first or forward them this podcast or the blog article. So if you are ready for greater autonomy, I highly suggest you download the worksheet I mentioned earlier. It's available at mamieks.com slash podcast 005. And while you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so you get every worksheet delivered to your inbox along with each week's episode and the blog article so you'll never miss any great content. Now, if you're listening and wishing you had some help with implementing greater autonomy on your team, you are in luck. 
I have recently opened up two additional coaching spots with me, and I would love to work with you and help you enhance your management skills to be that full-on rockstar manager. You can drop me a line at mamie at mamieks.com and let me know that you're interested. That's M-A-M-I-E at mamieks.com. Lastly, if you are listening on iTunes and you found this episode useful, please give it a rating or leave me a review. That helps other people find this podcast so that we can have more rockstar managers. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics you want me to cover, please let me know. I want to hear from you. That's it for today. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.